Hey there, thanks for joining us for the latest podcast from Resound Church. We really believe that together we are better, and our heart is to reach, send, nurture, and disciple people as they become all that God has intended them to be. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or head over to our website, resound.church forward slash app, to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. I just want to take a moment and I just want to explain uh, the Christmas story to you, but from the perspective of Joseph, what he would have felt, what he would have experienced. And so the story begins that Mary and Joseph are engaged, they're excited, they're, they're full of love, they're getting ready to be married. And what happens is that all of a sudden is that Mary comes to Joseph and she says that she's fallen pregnant and she says that the pregnancy isn't from a man that it's caused by the Holy Spirit and that an angel has come to her. Joseph doesn't really believe any of this Um, and to be fair that's a pretty normal reaction. I imagine that he would have been feeling hurt, uh, betrayed, angry, uh, let down by his future wife and so what he uh, decides to do is he decides to divorce her Um, which is his right, as was the law back then, that he had every right to divorce her for adultery um, or just call off the marriage. And it says in the Bible that he wanted to do it quietly. One of the main reasons why he wanted to do that is because in that day and age, um, a woman could be stoned to death for committing adultery. And so he wanted to do it quietly to not cause her that pain or or so that she wouldn't be killed um, for a decision that, he thinks that she's made, which goes to show to the righteousness of of the character of who Joseph is. But anyway, after he thinks that he's made this decision and is going to follow that path, he has a dream. And in that dream, an angel appears to him. And an angel basically confirms everything that Mary has already said to him, that Mary is pregnant, that it's from the Holy Spirit, that it's going to be um, the Son of God, that his name will be Jesus. And what happens is after Joseph wakes up, he, he, he's thinking about that dream and he realizes that it was from an angel, that it was God commanding him to raise that child, to love it, to call it Jesus. What's interesting about that, and we can read it in the Bible as well, is that Joseph immediately responds to that dream. He immediately responds and says, yes, I know that's what God is commanding me to do. I'm going to go and follow it. And so that shows that Joseph was a faithful man. He didn't want to dishonor his wife. He was going to divorce her quietly. He had heard the the, the dream and when the angel spoke to him and he responded accordingly with righteous faith that he was a faithful Israelite man. And so that's something that I just wanted to share with you that Joseph went through a whole range of different emotions throughout this Christmas story but he remained true to the words that God had said to him and he responded in kind to them. There's several characters that are integral to the Christmas story and I want to talk to you about two groups of people. One is the three wise men and the other is the shepherd. 
Now in Matthew 2, 1 to 16, we learn about the three wise men and they came from the east, which is typically somewhere that we now know as maybe Iraq or Saudi Arabia or somewhere near Yemen. And it was actually King Herod that sent them. So when you read in the scripture, King Herod sent them under the premise to go and find out about the son of man that's to be born. Who is this new king that I'm going to uh, you know, worship in the future? But as you read further down in the scripture, we know that was not King Herod's intention at all. So the three wise men show up to the stable and they have with them gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now in today's age, you're not going to rock up to a new baby's uh, birth with gold, frankincense and myrrh. You're probably going to bring other things. But in those days, they, the three wise men showed up with that. And I believe they brought gold because gold was associated with royalty and respect and kings. And Christians believe that Jesus was the king of kings and we obviously believe that today. They also bought frankincense, and frankincense um, is like an incense and a perfume that's utilized in worship. And people, uh, they brought the incense, the frankincense, because they were going to worship Jesus. And then there was myrrh, and myrrh is like an oil that is normally uh, attached to things that maybe don't smell so good to make them smell good. And in those days, they actually used myrrh. Um, when someone had passed away and there was a body or a cadaver that they wanted to make smell more pleasant and they brought myrrh because obviously this represented that Jesus would endure persecution and ultimately result in death. So that's the three wise men. And then we get to the shepherds. I mean, why shepherds, right? Why did God send an angel to reveal to the shepherds. I mean, they're just going about their business in the fields. And in those days, shepherds were like the low of the low. They didn't bathe that often. They stuck to their business. They slept in barns. They shepherded their flock. They protected them from all sorts of dangers. And they generally were very, very downtrodden and seen as a lower caste. So why did God choose shepherds? I mean, for a start, he sent an angel to speak to them to say, Go into Bethlehem and find the stable, and there you will find the birth of the, of the King of Kings, Jesus himself. So the shepherds, as you can imagine, were initially very frightened, but they were just so excited. So they took off and went to Bethlehem, and there they found this baby who was born in a stable, and they knew that this was going to be Jesus. But why did God choose shepherds? One, I believe he chose the shepherds because... He knew that they were humble. He could have chosen anyone, religious leaders, kings, influencers of the day. But he chose shepherds because he knew they were going to be humble and would really understand the gravity or the excitement of this occasion. And secondly, can you imagine these shepherds being the first to hear about the birth of Jesus, going to see the baby Jesus? You think they're going to keep quiet about that? Not a chance. They're going to go and tell everybody. And secondly, the message of Jesus' birth from the mouth of a shepherd is going to resonate in a way and get people excited more than anybody else delivering that message. So that's the story of the three wise men and the shepherds in the birth of Jesus. Many of us know of Mary because she's such a significant part of the Christmas story, but I don't think many of us would have taken time to consider what it would have been like to be in her shoes. So we know a little bit about Mary. We know that she is young, she is engaged, and she's from a town called Nazareth, which was in Galilee. And what we might not have taken time to consider was just how young Mary was in that day to be engaged 
young women were generally between the ages of 12 and 14. So she's this young girl engaged to be married and one day the angel Gabriel comes to her and brings her news that she will become pregnant as a virgin uh, to Jesus who will be known as the Son of the Most High and the, he was the foretold Messiah that would be coming. And Mary's reaction to this is really amazing. She questions Gabriel a little bit about how this would happen. She didn't understand that she could give birth as a virgin, but Gabriel assures her that it's by the Holy Spirit coming upon her that she would become pregnant. And her response to this is to embrace what Gabriel has said and submit herself to God as his servant. And this is really amazing of Mary because she wouldn't have felt this embrace by her community. To become uh, pregnant outside of marriage, she would have been labelled an adulteress, which had pretty significant consequences. So she actually could have been stoned to death, but even if she wasn't stoned to death, she would have been shut off from her community, she would have been shunned, she would have been labelled, and that would have been a heavy burden to bear. The other really uh, amazing thing I find about Mary is that when Gabriel appears to her, she doesn't respond in the way that Joseph and Zechariah did in the fact that they were really fearful. The Bible tells us that she was troubled and wondered, but this wasn't at an angel appearing to her. It was at what Gabriel had told her. And so what I read from this and what I read from knowing more about Mary is that she had a glimpse of the significance of what was to come through Jesus. It later says after his birth and that they've been uh, visited by the shepherds that Mary treasured these moments in her heart. She pondered them, she thought on them. And I believe that's because she had revelation about the significance of who Jesus was and what he would mean for humanity. There simply wouldn't be a nativity story without Jesus. Just like how God should be the centre of our lives, he is literally the centre of this story. Just a newborn baby, born in extraordinary circumstances, totally unaware at the time of, of the impact that his birth would have for the generations to come. Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown, to give birth to Jesus. You would have thought that they would have stayed with Joseph's family, and yet, they chose to go somewhere private to give birth to the Saviour of the world. Mary wrapped him in a cloth and placed him in a manger. The angel had told Joseph that he was to be named Jesus, meaning to deliver and rescue. By coming down to earth as a man, God through his son Jesus began to fight our battles in the flesh. His life would be lived as a man with all the struggles and temptations that are common to man. He was tempted by sin and bled real blood. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, all mankind essentially inherited a sinful nature. So in order for Jesus to be pure and not to be a descendant of Adam, he had to be born of a virgin birth. Jesus had to be born because Adam and Eve failed to carry out God's mandate to glorify him in their lives. It was left for the Son of God thousands of years later to ultimately fulfill the divine revelation of God's character and purpose for men. But if he was and is to be our saviour, then why was he born of such a lowly birth? I guess the simple answer is there were no rooms available, but I think there's more to it than that. Think for a minute. He is the one and only son of God 
Yet he was born in the lowest of circumstances, in a stable, not in a hotel, a palace, or even an inn. He also didn't descend down from heaven as a newborn baby or just appear in Mary's arms. He didn't come to earth to rule on a throne. He came down to earth to live amongst his people and set the ultimate example for, of us to live our lives as God intended. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus started at the bottom, so that through him we would experience riches beyond compare. And as he grew up and began his ministry, he mirrored his birth time and time again by spending time with the lowest people in society, washing the feet of his disciples and spending time amongst the sinners. That's who Jesus is. And it all started on this incredible night in a stable. Two humble and faithful parents gave birth to the most important person in history. So without Jesus's birth, there would be no nativity story. Maybe Mary and Joseph would have their own significant story later on in the Bible. But on that night, they would have just been an engaged couple staying at their in-laws on the night of census. Jesus's birth bridged the gap that sin created between us and God. Hey, well, good morning, church. It's good to take a few moments. The nativity scene gives us some insights into the views that uh, those that were a part of that experience possibly had. Well, obviously, we take those things from the Bible and we try and get some insight and some understanding. But I want to talk to you about Christmas uh, and understand this, we know that Christmas is about celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. In so many ways, his birth is different to all of the others uh, because of what has been achieved through his death. In other words, what I'm saying is this, we know that Jesus was born, but every one of us has been born. We've all been born at one point or another. And it wasn't his birth alone that made the significant difference. So, so a, a few things to consider. Mary was pregnant before she was married. That happens all the time now, but it was less common 2,000 years ago. Joseph found out she was pregnant, was going to quietly break the engagement off. That happens now as well. But he didn't because of an angelic visitation. That was not so common. They travelled to the village of their ancestors for a census and Mary happened to give birth at, at a time where there was no hotel or Airbnb options available. They took the stable option before it was a trendy, renovated, luxury accommodation package. And, uh, and as a result, they suffered the, the aroma that come from the farm animals that were a part of the stables. That was unusual. Wise men and shepherds turned up following the, the birth. That was unusual. They brought exotic and expensive gifts, which were unseemly for a stable birth, if I can put it that way. Not long after the birth, the so-called Messiah is fleeing to Egypt in a similar manner to his father's ancestors who went to Egypt many, many hundreds of years earlier. The Messiah was fleeing in a bid to escape. And a final point here, the ruler Herod found out about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, and he ordered the murder of every male boy two years and under, causing untold pain and suffering 
for all concerned. That to me is quite profound. That is significant. The birth of Jesus was unusual. We've all been born, but it wasn't his birth alone that makes him stand out. The fact that because he was born, the ruler of the day decided to execute all of these little babies in an attempt to kill the Messiah, that was unusual. And when you think of the pain and suffering that all of those families would have gone through as a result of that, it gives us time to reflect and to think about, you know, just what it really cost. There are many similarities between the birth of Jesus and the birth of so many other children. The differences, though, are stark and range from the angelic appearances, exotic gifts and a mass murder. If Jesus was only ever born, there is not enough distinguishing factors to demand that billions of people follow him. There are many other extraordinary birth stories. That alone is not enough. Jesus was a rabbi, a master teacher, a discipler, a gifted communicator. He's a miracle worker. He loved people. He judged fairly. He gave, he prayed, he fasted, and he taught us to do all those things as well. His real impact only lasted three years. That's the time he gave the world to teach them about how they could right the world's wrongs to teach them God's way and to address the millennia of departure from his father's intentional or initial intention for us at all, for us all doing well this morning. You see, Jesus spent three years from the age of 30 to the age of 33 on the earth, speaking, talking, relating, connecting, helping people to understand, reinterpreting the Bible so that people could understand all that had happened in the days beforehand. But he was also speaking about a new world, a new future, a new beginning. That in itself was really quite amazing. And we live today on Jesus' words. But that, again, is not enough to distinguish him. It wasn't just his birth. It wasn't just his teaching that made him stood out. It was something far more profound. You see, Jesus was born to die. Now, we all die. We know that. Many famous people throughout many, many years have died, but their deaths achieved the only thing that, uh, that is possible, and that is that they cease to live. When I die, I will cease to live. When you die, you will cease to live. We'll go to our grave and hopefully we'll be reconciled together with our Father. When Jesus died, it was the crowning achievement of his time here on earth. It was what made the difference. He wasn't just born. He didn't just teach, but he died. And in dying, he, he, if you like, capped off all that he was supposed to do. The point that makes all the difference is the fact that Jesus died and in doing so became a sacrifice for all of us and for our sins. He paid the price with his life. He suffered. He was humiliated. He was rejected and despised. But his grand slam, the crowning moment of his life, was found in his death and in the power of his death to resurrect our lives. I mean, often we talk about the fact that Jesus was resurrected, and that's great. We we, we understand that. But the real power in his death was his power to resurrect us as well, to lift us from our sin, from from, from our experiences, and to give us an option of becoming new again. He gave us new life. He gave us the option becoming those who were new creations as a result of what he did. I want to read to you today from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
from the Message Bible. And it's a lengthy portion of Scripture, but I hope that as we read it, and I'll read it slowly, you will gain some understanding about what it is that Jesus was trying to communicate to us. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Just a thought there. This body's going to die. It's getting older and it's going to get to a point where it can no longer sustain me. And when it goes, I'll be given a new body. I'll be resurrected, resurrected to a new life, as will you. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move. And so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God wepts our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. There are moments in my life where I know God has touched me. Those moments are too far, uh, too far apart. They're too fleeting. They're not as prolonged as I would like. But that's the way God works. What he's doing is he's enticing us to a, to a life that is far better than this one. Life everlasting. Where the momentary fleeting experiences become lengthy and all-sustaining. Verse 6 says this, it's like why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. It's what we trust in, but we don't, uh, don't yet see that keeps us going. Do you suppose a few ruts in the road or rocks in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. But neither exile nor homecoming is the main thing. Cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing, and that's what we aim to do regardless of our conditions. Every single one of us lives different lives. Some appear to be fortunate. Some appear to have just one thing go wrong after another. Whatever our conditions, they're less relevant than our responsibility to live a life that pleases God. The way I dress doesn't please God. The way I conduct myself does. Sooner or later, we'll all have to face God regardless of our conditions. We'll appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. That keeps us vigilant, you can be sure. It's no light thing to know that we'll all one day stand in that place of judgment. That's why we work urgently with everyone we meet to get them ready to face God. Simple question, are you ready to face God today? God alone knows how well we do this, but I hope you realize how much and deeply we care. We're not saying this to make ourselves look good to you. We just thought it would make you feel good, proud even that we're on your side and not just nice to your face as so many people are. If I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and last word in everything we do. 
our firm decision is to work from this focus centre. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and we got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly didn't look at him or we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone and new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and to enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Be friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. I know it's a long passage of scripture and Paul writing there to the church in Corinth, a church filled with its own challenges and difficulties. But it says so much about what Jesus actually did. We know that he was born and at Christmas time we celebrate his birth. But his birth was not distinguishing enough for him to be known for what he did. His teaching, extraordinary as it is, was not enough by itself. But the package, if you like, is his birth, his teaching, his death and his resurrection. And through all that he has said, through all that he has done, through the sacrifice that was made, I have a relationship with God. You may judge me on how I look. You may judge me on how I act. But I am fortunate enough to know Christ and know that he doesn't judge me that way anymore. He's completely received me simply because of what Christ has done. And I want to ask you today to realize again for yourself the same truth. Too many people are buffeted backwards and forwards, to and fro, by what people say, by what people think, by what they have and what they don't have. In Christ, you're completely accepted. In Christ, you're set free. In Christ, you get the chance to start all over again. Don't let the birth, the teaching, the death and the resurrection of Christ go to waste. He gives you an opportunity of starting over again. You know, we're drawing it near to the end of 2020 and many people are so excited about that. As if somehow by moving from 2020 to 2021, everything becomes different. It doesn't. But let me use the impetus of the time of the year we're in and encourage you to make a change. You may say, I've followed Christ for many, many years. There isn't any need for me to to respond to this. And I would suggest to you that there is. You see, we are progressively being saved. There are still things that I bring to God and surrender to him that I realize that are wrong in my life. Sin has impacted my life. It's changed my life. And and, and I'm still, if you like, uh, shredding, if I can put it that way, shredding the impact of that sin. I want to become more like Jesus Christ. As Paul said in the start of this passage, you know what? We're getting older. 
Our bodies are decaying, but on the inside, we're being renewed and we're going to become more like Jesus Christ. This Christmas, redevote yourself to Him. This Christmas, realize again the miracle birth of Jesus Christ and allow yourself to be impacted and changed as a result of what Jesus has done. Jesus was born, He lived, He taught, He died and was resurrected. We know He rose again, giving us the same opportunity of being resurrected as well. Don't wait another moment for your life to change. Make a decision right now. Will you pray together with me? Father, I thank you today for all that we understand about Jesus. I thank you today for all that we understand about what you've done in sacrificing your son. Uh, That words are inadequate to explain our gratitude. We'll never understand the price that was paid by yourself, by Jesus, or even by those families who lost their children because Herod attempted to kill the Messiah. We'll never understand the price that was paid for us, but the outcome of all the sacrifice, of all the violence, of all the hurt, is a new beginning for each one of us, promised to us, given to us, so that we can be reconciled together with you. I pray for everyone listening and watching today. Help them to make the change. Help them to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, to receive all that he has done so that they themselves this Christmas will experience new joy and a foretaste of what lies ahead. I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to say have a happy Christmas with your family. As you spend time together, perhaps on Christmas Day, before Christmas Day or after Christmas Day, however it works for you and your family, enjoy one another. Listen intently to what the people around you are saying. Care for them. Express your care with words and with actions. And may your Christmas be blessed. And may you be a blessing to others this Christmas season. Have a great day. Hey, what a great message. Thanks for joining us here at Resound Church. We pray that you've been encouraged through the message and that you've grown just a little bit closer to God. While you're online, why don't you head over and give us a like on Facebook or Instagram or check out our website at resound.church. You can subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or head over to our website resound.church forward slash app to grab our app, which will keep you up to date with everything going on. Well, don't forget next week, there'll be another amazing podcast here to listen to from Resound Church. We hope you join us then.